Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association, with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the Great War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 15th of February 2021 and this is episode 195. On today's Dispatches podcast, I talk to author and historian Dr Seamus Cullen on his recent book on Kildare from 1912 to 1923. This looks at the county of Kildare through the Home Rule Crisis, the Great War, the War of Irish Independence and the Irish Civil War. This book is published by Four Quarts Press. Seamus spoke to me from his home in Ireland. Seamus, welcome to the Dispatches podcast. Before we start, could you tell us about yourself and how you became interested in the Great War? I am a historian with an interest in the local history of County Kildare where I live. I have studied all important events connected to the modern history of the county, particularly events commemorated by anniversaries such as the revolutionary period from 1798 to 1803 and other anniversaries such as Kildare's involvement in the Great War. So where exactly is Kildare and what was it like in the the early 20th century in terms of geography, demography, religious and political composition? Kildare is a county immediately west of Dublin. The nearest part of the county to Dublin is Leakslip, which is only nine miles from the centre of the city. Kildare is a small county, which had a population in 1911 of 66,000. At that time, the county sent two elected representatives to Westminster, who were moderate nationalist MPs. Politically, the vast majority of the county favoured home rule, a limited form of autonomy within the framework of the United Kingdom, similar to the devolved assemblies in Scotland and Wales today. There was a strong unionist minority in Kildare of approximately 18%, but a large section of this unionist figure were either members of the British Army or their dependents. As a result, Kildare has a very important historical connection to the British Army. So could you tell us what is the connection of County Kildare to the British Army? Kildare was a garrison county. There were four significant garrison towns in the county in 1912. Corrie Camp, Nace, Newbridge and Kildare Town. Three of them surrounded the Curra Plains, which provided excellent training facilities for both cavalry and infantry. The Curra Camp, with an estimated population of 7,000, was the largest urban area in the county and had permanent accommodation for 4,500 men. So what was the strength of the army in Kildare in 1912 and what effect did they have on the local economy? In 1912, there were 25,887 army personnel of all ranks in Ireland, of which almost 25%, close to 6,000 men, were stationed in County Kildare. Numbers in the county even exceeded those in Dublin, where 20% of the army were based. Not surprisingly, the British Army was the largest employer in Kildare, and a substantial percentage of the population in central Kildare were directly dependent on the army for their livelihood. Beef production, for instance, which was the most important agricultural activity in the country, was heavily dependent on buyers purchasing for the army and other British markets. Kildare was economically more reliant on the war office than any other Irish county. While the farming sector provided the largest employment in the county, the British army were the second largest employers. So how did the home rule crisis uh, affect Kildare between 1912 and 1914? 
One of the most important events that took place during the Home Rule crisis was the Curra incident of March 1914, which is sometimes referred to as the Curra Mutiny. It took place largely in County Kildare in the Curra camp and is regarded as one of the most important events relating to the British Army in peacetime. With 80,000 Ulster volunteers threatening to resist Home Rule and only 11.5% of the armed forces in Ireland stationed in the entire province of Ulster, the government decided to redeploy units from the Curra to Ulster. There were actually twice as many soldiers garrisoned in the Curra than in the entire province of Ulster. The Curra Army Office chose resignation rather than redeployment to Ulster, where they believed they would be used to coerce the Unionists into accepting Home Rule. New details uncovered in the present study suggest an involvement by at least two Unionists from Kildare, Sir William Goulding and Sir Henry Greer, both of them later Senate. Goulding, who was at that time one of the leading industrialists in the country, contacted Bonner Law, the leader of the Conservative Party, and briefed him on the affair, even providing him with the exact number of officers refusing redeployment. Greer, a retired army officer and one of the most influential figures in the local equine industry in, in the Curra, was actually sent to England on behalf of the protesting officers to lay their case before Lord Lansdowne, who was the Tory leader in the House of Lords. The episode, as we know, was settled with the Curra officers obtaining favourable terms. An Irish volunteer organisation consisting of nationalists had been established some months before the the implementation of Home Rule. At the time, Kildare and neighbouring County Wicklow were the only two counties that did not have a volunteer branch. The current incident seemed to kickstart the growth of the Irish volunteers in Kildare, and within one month, there were volunteer branches in all the garrison towns. So with the outbreak of war in 1914, what was the response of Kildare uh, to the war in terms of recruitment to the Crown forces and also their support for the war effort? The outbreak of war brought to the political tension caused by the Home Rule crisis was felt in a more immediate and visible way in Kildare than in most other parts of Ireland due to the army presence in the county. From the beginning, there was widespread support in Kildare for the war. The local economy benefited both through an increased need for materials and animals and as a result of the financial assistance that was made available to soldiers and their dependents. Between the outbreak of the war in August 1914 and October 1916, that is, two years and two months, 1,644 recruits from Kildare enlisted. One report indicated that 88% of recruits were Catholic and 12% were Protestant. Another report pinpointed two County Kildare towns, Tye and Selbridge, where recruitment was substantially above average. So we come to the Easter Rising in 1916 and the subsequent repression by British authorities. Uh, and obviously that's combined with the impact of war shortages. How did that affect the, uh, the county? Much of the historiography of the Easter Rising has focused on the insurgents. By contrast, the deployment of the British Army stationed in Kildare during Easter 1916 has not received much historical attention, even though it was central to the suppression of the outbreak. In the weeks leading up to the Rising, General Friend, the GOC in Ireland, concerned at intelligence suggesting that a rebellion was imminent, wrote to General Kitchener requesting extra troops. Arrangements were made to have a reserve brigade sent to Ireland at once, if required by the Irish authorities. General Friend also requested that an expert be appointed to command the Special Reserve. This was a unit from the Curragh 
that was kept in readiness at all times in case of an emergency. Just two weeks before the rising, Colonel Bertram Porter, the 17th Lancer, who was engaged in active service in France, was transferred to the Curra and appointed commander of the Curra Special Reserve. Portal was no stranger to Ireland, having lived in County Kildare with his wife for long periods. When the alarm was raised in the Curra on Easter Monday, the Special Reserve of 1,600 men were mobilised and they arrived in Dublin within four hours of receiving order. Portal's role in suppressing the rising was central. He was the operational commander on the ground throughout the rebellion. His first operation in Dublin on Easter Monday evening was to lead a sortie from Kingsbridge Railway Station to provide reinforcements to Dublin Castle and Trinity College. He was also central in cordoning off the volunteer headquarters at the GPO later in the week. Augustine Burrell, the Irish secretary, told the Royal on the rebellion in Ireland that the outbreak was a failure from the beginning because reinforcements arrived quickly and in number from the Curra before the end of the first day of the rising. So what impact did the events in Dublin during um, the Easter Rising have on County Kildare? The 1916 Rising and the response of the British government to it was a watershed in Irish history. The unpopularity execution of rebel leaders, and particularly James Connolly, so badly wounded he had to be strapped in a chair, had profound impact nationally and greatly influenced the political mood in Kildare. Also, the subsequent arrests, which led to an emerging political prisoner issue. The public disquiet saw the beginning changing political landscape, with prisoner support groups emerging and forming a base for an advanced nationalist movement that challenged the dominance of the moderate Irish Nationalist Party in West Recruitment in Kildare collapsed. The Royal Dublin Fusilier recruiting depot in the county recorded a decrease of 52% in the six months from February to August 1916. Fall-off in the list is best described by a speech in the House of Commons by John O'Connor MP for North Kildare, who was a strong supporter of the war and recruitment. He blamed the mishandling by the authorities of their response to the rising and its aftermath for the collapse in recruitment. This is what happened in Kildare when the Battle of the Somme, one of the biggest battles in history, was taking place. During 1916, a total of 183 fatalities from Kildare were recorded in the Great War. And then following on uh, from the suppression of the Easter Rising, there emerged the conscription crisis in Ireland in April 1918. Could you briefly tell us what this was and what impact this had on County Kildare? Opposition to conscription in Kildare in April 1918, despite it being a garrison county, was as intense as any other Irish county. This opposition united all shades of national opinion, including the pro-independence party Sinn Féin and the Catholic Church. The wording of an anti-conscription pledge modelled on the Ulster Covenant of 1912, when unionists signed a pledge to resist home rule, was agreed in Maynooth College in Kildare with an input from all the nationalist political parties and the Catholic hierarchy. Thousands all over the country gathered and took the anti-conscription pledge. There was a national strike which was as effective in Kildare as it was in other counties outside Ulster. The authorities were unable to enforce conscription. Despite the fact that the war ended in November 1918, the attempt to impose conscription was an issue in the election the following month. The issue contributed to the defeat of the moderate Nationalist Party in Westminster, who favoured home rule and resulted in a massive swing to Sinn Féin, 
who favoured complete independence. Sinn Féin obtained 70% of the seats and boycotted Westminster. So after the Great War, what became known as the Irish War of Independence breaks out and lasts to around 1922. How did this affect the people of Kildare and, and did they support the Crown or the rebels? The majority of people of Kildare supported the rebels, although some nationalists in favour of home rule supported the army presence for economic reasons. The population, by and large, did not fully assist the Crown forces, instead supported the revolutionary government and even the revolutionary courts. Crown forces such as the Royal Irish Constabulary, the army and officials representing the British authorities were boycotted. So obviously Kildare has a very large uh, British garrison uh, in the county. What role did that garrison and the army play in Kildare during the, the War of Irish Independence? The army were engaged mainly in search, guarding facilities and in charge of the substantial internment camp in the Curra, generally assisting the police. Two new auxiliary police forces were recruited and they took the brunt of the attacks by the IRA. The regular British army were not targeted in Kildare and appeared to enjoy a certain degree of immunity from assassination that occurred in other counties, such as Dublin and Cork. And this was particularly the case in the Curra region, where the army during the most intense period of the Irish War of Independence could feel safe. While the army were boycotted by the IRA, the boycott was not strictly enforced in the garrison towns. There is a typical incident that verifies this, which occurred on the eve of Valentine's Day 1921, just outside Newbridge. An armed IRA party of three men surrounded a car in which a private of the 12th Lancers and his 24-year-old girlfriend from Newbridge were courting in an isolated area on a by-road. They requested the soldier to leave the scene and for the girl to remain. The private suspecting their intention was to cut the girl's hair as punishment for keeping company with a soldier, refused to comply. The armed men at that point warned not to return to that area again and departed without harming the couple. This is one of the many examples of the IRA in Kildare acting in a more lenient manner when compared, for example, to Munster. In fact, it was wise for them not to overly target the army. After all, Kildare at the time was a county where the British soldiers accounted for some 20% of the male population. So what was interesting in your book, you mentioned that the army in Kildare could, all, could not always be called upon to assist their colleagues in Dublin. Why, did, why was this and how did that come about? In April 1920, there was a major crisis in Dublin due to a hunger strike of over 100 prisoners in Mountjoy Jail. During the strike, thousands of people congregated outside the prison amid rumours that deaths of participants were imminent. Scuffles with the troops on guard became a cause for concern. There was an electric atmosphere. Then the unions called a general strike. In Kildare, no trains ran. The principal form of transport for the army was the rail service. Strike committees took over all the garrison towns. No schools were open. Businesses were closed and work suspended. Nace was blocked off. In Newbridge, barricades in and out of the town were erected and manned. The same applied in Kildare Town, two miles from the Curry Camp, where the strike committee styled themselves the Kildare Soviet. The Royal Irish Constabulary in the town were withdrawn from the streets and strong pickets were mounted each night by the strikers' committee. There were many complaints of intimidation of army employees. The British army in the county for two days were virtually cut off from the outside world. They were actually marooned in Kildare. They could not be called upon by Dublin Cast or Army GHQ in Dublin to assist, and they had no transport contingency plans 
put in place. Security forces in Dublin were stretched and the authorities capitulated to the strikers, freeing both internees and sentenced prisoners alike. Some historians suggest the strike did more to undermine British authority than months of armed struggle. And this assessment was verified by General Sir Hugh Judwin, head of the 5th Division and second in command of the army, who was based in the current camp. So were there any shots fired at the army in Kildare? Apart from targeting the police, the army was only targeted militarily once, which was in July 1921, just before the truce. The principal form of transport for the army, as mentioned earlier, was the rail system. And in June 1921, Michael Collins launched an offensive against troop trains. He had received intelligence that large numbers of troops from the Curragh were drafted to Belfast to provide security for King George, who officially opened the new Northern Ireland Parliament. As the troops were returning by rail to the Curragh, they were attacked by IRA parties, one in South Armagh and another near Dublin. A third that was attacked in Dare, en route to the Curragh, was carrying 700 men of the King's own Yorkshire Light Infantry. The tracks were mined, but a spotter plane signalled the train to stop. There was a brief exchange of fire between the IRA and a patrol of the South Lancashire Regiment who rushed to the sea, but no one was injured and the IRA party, consisting of 120 men, escaped. Six days later, a train carrying an advance party of the 2nd Gordon Highland to the Curragh was targeted on the rail line closer to Dublin. On both occasions, the IRA used a machine gun. At this point, transport by rail was suspended. This caused considerable inconvenience to the army. For example, the main body of the second Gordon Highlanders had to travel on foot from Dublin and arrived in the Curragh two days after the advance party. The journey by rail would only have taken three quarters of an hour. The truce was declared three days later. So can you tell us about the truce and the treaty that followed and the, and the reaction of the army to these events? The Irish Independence War ended with a truce and treaty negotiations followed. Reaction to the truce from the army was mixed. One of the provisions involved a British Army officer and a senior member of the IRA liaising. The military authorities could not but feel humiliation and disappointment at having to treat on equal terms those that they regarded as treacherous murderers. The victims of the conflict were many of their friends. The officers also found it unpalatable to refer to the armistice as a truce. The GOC in Dublin, General McReady, preferred the term agreement and regarded its effects as a suspension of activities. However, the rank and file of the army were relieved at the truce, which promised a quick release from duties in Ireland and uninterrupted sleep. The British Army, com the British army complied promptly with truce regulation, and by the 14th of July, all restrictions had been removed from the 5th Division area, which included County Kildare. During the period of the truce, from July to December 1921, the IRA discreetly engaged in military preparations, and the British Army took precautionary steps should the truce break down. A month's reserves of non-perishable food was acquired, and ammunition was collected for the police. Following serious hitches on two occasions during the treaty negotiations, troops were ordered to be prepared for a down of the negotiation. On the 25th of October 1981, it was agreed by both sides that 72 hours notice would be given should there be a termination of the truce. In that scenario, troops would be directed to engage organised parties of rebels, undertake raids for known members of the IRA and assist the Royal Irish Constabulary and reimpose curfew regulations pending the coming into force of martial law. 
The Irish delegation won a considerable measure of sovereignty when granted dominion status, but were forced to accept an oath of allegiance, partition and various concessions on security. The treaty was accepted by the majority in Kildare and greeted with celebrations throughout the county. So obviously one of the key provisions of the treaty was the evacuation of the British army um, from many of its bases in Ireland. Could you tell us about the evacuation of the British army from, from County Kildare in 1922? The evacuation of the British Army from Ireland in 1922 impacted on Kildare more so than any other. The various Kildare barracks were the last to be evacuated outside Dublin. The Curragh camp was the second largest military camp in the United Kingdom, second only to Aldershot. Both the Curragh and Aldershot were established during the Crimea War in the 1850s. The Curragh had one of the best training facilities in the world. The camp is within an unenclosed flat plain of 5,000 acres. There were a number of outstations close by in the Wicklow Mountains, which included the artillery range. In summer, up to 20,000 soldiers could be based in the camp, with the majority accommodated under canvas. The preparations and arrangements for the evacuation took months. It was one of the most important events in County Kildare. Never before or since has there been an evacuation on the same scale in the country. All ordnance and barrack stores of approximately 1,000 tonnes had to be moved to Britain and Northern Ireland. The last units of the army to leave were two platoons of the Northamptonshire Regiment. The final departing party alone on the 16th of May 1922, of more than 100 vehicles, took one hour to pass through Nace. The official changeover involved three officers from each of the two armies, the British Army and the Irish Army, meeting in the staff house in the camp. Two of the British officers, Colonel Elpenstone Dalrymple and Colonel Stockwell, brought the Irish officers, which included General J.J. O'Connell, and Commandant Patrick Cronin on a tour of the camp, pointing out the various installations. That event was captured on camera and is featured on the cover of the book. So what impact did the departure of the British Army have on the economy of County Kildare after 1922? The departure of the British Army in early 1922 had severe economic consequences throughout Kildare. The sign was the collapse of forage prices, with hay fetching only £9 a tonne instead of the usual £14. During the period between April 1921 and April 1922, almost all agricultural commodities recorded double-digit price reduction of between 10 and 46%. The residents of Newbridge and the Curra lobbied the new Irish government to choose the Curra and Newbridge as the headquarters of the new Irish army and for the creation of light industry in the barracks. In March 1922, Mace Urban District Council requested assistance from the Minister for Labour for individuals who had become unemployed after the withdrawal of the British Army. Following the, following the evacuation of the artillery barracks in Kildare Town in April 1922, the deployment of the new Irish Police Academy to the complex provided a short-term boost to the area but did not compensate for the commercial loss to the town. The current camp was described by a contemporary as more like a modern industrial estate with large workshops and stables. In late December 1921, weekly wage paid to the large workforce in the camp amounted to £7,000, and it was estimated that between £90,000 and £100,000 a month was circulated by the military in the Curra district. Following the British evacuation in May 1922, the local economist's normal business 
practices. Only a fraction of those previously employed by the British military were attained by the National Army. It was reported that in the Curra region, no less than 1,100 men were unemployed. No town in Kildare was more dependent economically on the British Army or more adversely affected by the withdrawal than Newbridge. A local resident put it, one lived off the army. No matter what one had to sell, the army bought it from a horse to a chicken. One could poach a salmon or shoot a pheasant, anything. The army would buy it. A straw logs. There was no fear in the town, very little violence and no sectarianism. They were part of society and they were welcome. Owing to the severe economic consequences, all of the garrison towns experienced a notable decline in population. So how were the vacant army barracks that the British Army left utilised? The availability of vacant British Army barracks in Kildare resulted in large numbers of the new Irish National Army being stationed in the county. This had implications when the Civil War broke out. Former British Army barracks were put to use as detention centres and this resulted in two catastrophic events relating to the Civil War, the prisoner issue and the new government's execution policy, which greatly impacted on County Kildare. And so what happened to the county in the early days of the Free State in the 1920s? The majority in Kildare, two elections from 1918 to 1920, had voted for Sinn Féin, a party promoting full independence. As for the first general election following independence in June 1922, the treaty and its terms were accepted by 80% of the electorate in the constituency that included County Kildare. The result of the 1923 election seemed to imply that the electorate in the county reverted to a more moderate nationalist viewpoint who were satisfied with dominion status and the level of independence that had been granted. And finally, Seamus, where can people learn more about your book and research? The Irish Revolution series of county histories, in which Kildare is the eighth volume, will give a complete history of the revolutionary period from 1912 to 1923. When the series is completed, it will include 30 volumes of an all-inclusive account of national and local history from the period. All of the principal events that occurred in Ireland during the period will be covered in the series. In the Cork volume, the Kilmichael ambush and reprisals such as the burning of Cork will be covered. In the Dublin volume, the assassination of British Secret Service agents in Dublin in 1920 and the subsequent reprisals at a football match later that day will be covered. The Kildare volume, which we have just discussed, covers two events of national and international importance, such as the current incident and the most extensive British army evacuation from any county in Ireland. A must for anyone interested in British military history is a visit to the Curra Military Museum, where it may be possible to arrange a tour of selected sites. Seamus, thank you very much for your time. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Buthworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time.